to the Flex of Gold Fantasy Football Podcast, your new favorite fantasy football podcast. Angelo and Lisa here alongside Nick Perillo. Nick, we have made it through week one. There's a lot of things that we learned coming out of the week. It's the first week of the season. We got to go through every overreaction that's in the book, but we got a lot of nice content for the folks this week. How's it going so far? How'd you do this week? Um, Team performed pretty well. I ran into a uh, high scoring team, so I lost uh, week one. But a couple of things I think that will change for my team a little bit. I had uh, We'll get to it, but I had Brandon Ayuk get a fat zero, so that didn't help out that much. And, uh, you know, Mike Thomas didn't really get things going because the Falcons were down. I hope that doesn't become a trend for the season. But uh, some of the other guys played well. I was happy to see Matt Stafford look really good. Joe Mixon looked good. So we'll see what happens next week, though. Yeah, we. I, I know both of us are pretty high on Mike Davis, so that one definitely really hurts. Uh a similar situation in my main league, put up the third most points in the league, play the guy that had the most in the league, get an L. Other league, I did win pretty handily, but I also faced the guy that scored the second least amount of points. So it's hard to feel really good there. So just kind of like overall, got, got that taste of foot in my mouth from uh, the first week. But that being said, there is a lot of content to get through. A lot of things happening this weekend. Um Let's start off with some of the injuries. Raheem Mostert, obviously the big one. He's going to be done for the year following knee surgery. Curtis Samuel, this was announced early Sunday, but he's on the IR, so that might be a guy. If you have an IR spot, it might be worth stashing him there. Otherwise, I'm kind of okay with cutting him. Jerry Judy's going to be out for a prolonged period of time. He should be back sometime later this season. Did not break the ankle as was feared, but it's going to be one. He's, again, he's in that tough spot of do you want to hold on to him and hope he comes back? Or do you want to cut him so you can get some production right away? Receiver is a deep position there. And then, obviously, Nick, we got to talk about the big elephant in the room with the 49ers. That's not just Mostert, but it involves Brandon Ayuk, like you mentioned, and Trey Sermon. Yeah, the whole 49er thing, uh, fantasy-wise, was a debacle on Sunday. They almost blew the game completely against the Lions, which would have been a crazy, crazy uh, come-from-behind win from the Lions, but the 49ers did hang on to win. But, yeah, I mean, Trey Sermon, to start it off, was a healthy scratch, kind of head sh- uh, scratching there. Then Raheem Mostert gets hurt in the first quarter, uh, elects to get surgery uh, this year to end his season. So now Elijah Mitchell um, slides in as what looks to be the starting running back uh, for the 49ers. And then Brandon Ayuk who wasn't on any kind of injury reports. He had a nagging hamstring, but wasn't on any, you know, wasn't questionable or doubtful or anything. He was on the field, but had zero targets and barely played any snaps. So uh, fantasy-wise, just a big head scratcher and a pain in the ass uh, for the 49ers uh, fantasy players this week. Yeah, I think that's more so, especially with Ayuk, more of him just kind of trying to Belichick, just trying to mess with us, make teams have to game plan around it. Ayuk is just too dynamic not to keep in on the field in the future. I mean, it's not like Trent Sherfield, the guy that replaced him, did much. I mean, he got three targets. He got one touchdown for 23 yards. So I have a hard time understanding the uh, logic of doing that. Obviously, Debo Samuel, nine for 189 and a score on 12 targets. Definitely a guy that we probably should have been higher on, but it's going to be interesting to see if he can stay healthy. Uh, if Ayuk is the whole... 
break in case Adebo gets hurt. I could see that kind of being the situation playing out because, I mean, Ayuk uh, did do his best work while Debo was coming back from injury. And that's going to take us right into the first part of the podcast, which is going into our takes. So my first take is in the backfield. I just think that with Elijah Mitchell and Jamichael Hasty and Trey Sermon, when he gets – he's going to be active this week, I think they aren't worth your waivers. That said, I am going to be pick, trying to attempt to pick up Mitchell with one of my waivers because he is the only running back really available that has a role that's established. But I think this is going to be a lot like last year where it's just guys that rotate in and out of the lineup, whoever happens to have the hot hand. Mitchell having 19 carries as opposed to Jermichael Hasty's one and Trey Sermon being on uh, a healthy scratch. That might be a good sign for his workload in the future. But I do think that ultimately Shannon's going to use a committee. I think that there's going to be a – I think he's just going to cycle bodies in. So next week I won't be surprised if Jermichael Hasty ends up with 15 touches. Uh, Just kind of going off of the game one script – Maybe Mitchell is taking over the lead back role with Hasty in that Jeff Wilson goal line back role. But I think this is going to be a case of you never know what you're going to get from the Niners. I would much rather try and poach Trey Sermon off of someone else's team for a cheap receiver than get overly excited about Elijah Mitchell. I, I'm, that's just me. Uh, Nick, what do you think about that? Um, I think Elijah Mitchell is still a worthy pickup, which I'll get to a little bit later. But I, I do kind of see what you mean, how the whole committee with the 49ers is a tough thing to forecast. I mean, we really haven't seen them have, you know, like uh, an emergent uh, running back in a while. We kind of thought it would be Raheem Mostert the past couple of years, but he's had injury problems. And it's just the way that team runs. They're so good at their blocking schemes. And Kittle on the line also is a tight end. He's best blocking tight end in football. It's just really like they can plug and play any kind of running backs there, and they use all different kinds of running backs just to establish their run game. They don't really have a bell cow. So fantasy-wise, it can be a little bit uh, annoying and confusing at times. So I do agree that you can't put your eggs in completely to their basket, but at the same juncture, if you're a GM and you draft Trey Sermon that high, you want to see the guy on field that you drafted. And Why, why would you pick him if you're not going to use him? Absolutely. Um, and this is more so a take of I'm willing to be wrong on this. I would rather be right about Elijah Mitchell being bad than be right about Elijah Mitchell being good. Like, I would rather get my hope. I would rather not have hopes about Elijah Mitchell being a de facto RB2 for me than to expect him to be an RB2. And then ultimately, he's a guy that collects dust or I end up cutting in like five weeks. Definitely, I agree with that. You can't like, you can't pick him up this week expecting him to be like, you know, a, like a, a world beater and be an amazing uh, running back. He is going to take a little time to see what you get from him and what the 49ers do with him. But uh, going to my first take, uh, not really like a crazy take, but I think that uh, after last night's performance and what we saw, I think Darren Waller will finish uh, this season as the number one tight end in fantasy. He's already a clear consensus top three with Kittle and uh, Kelsey. But I always kind of thought Kelsey was like a little bit of pedigree above. But I think Waller is going to really make a run at being the highest scoring tight end this year. Just because how many times Derek Carr looked at him. I think he had about 19 targets to him. And just the fact that Brian Edwards had a good fourth quarter into overtime. But, I mean, Hunter Renfro and Henry Ruggs. I I think Henry Ruggs is going to have a better year. But he only had two catches last night. One was obviously over 30 yards. That's usually his uh, go-to is the deep routes. But Waller over the middle and just being that safety blanket for Derek Carr is going to be such a big, big factor in that Raider offense. 
Yeah, I'm ner- with Ruggs, I'm nervous about it just because only five targets, only two catches. It's kind of the same role he had last year as a deep threat. They don't really try and get him the ball in space. For whatever reason, they are insistent on Hunter Renfro. He had nine targets, second on the team. And yes, Darren Waller, 19 targets. Again, it's, you could honestly say he had a bad game because he only had 10 catches. Like, there is a lot more potential there on the bone for him. But with Kelsey... The Chiefs, and I watching the Chiefs as a Tyree Kill owner, say what you will about him off the field, and there is definitely something to be said about him off the field. But having Tyree Kill on your fantasy team and then watching the Chiefs and watching them play that offense is just one of the best feelings in the world because it's just electric every time. Uh, but with Kelsey, he is older. Uh, he is over 30. And the only thing that's stopping Waller from taking the number one is the fact that the Chiefs' offense – is literally designed around Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Like those are the only two guys ever catching a Patrick Mahomes pass. You almost never see any of the other receivers get touches. But I mean, Waller is the only guy in Oakland. So so long as Oakland stays, I mean, not Oakland, Las Vegas. So long as uh, Vegas stays in these games and Derek Carr plays like he did last night. He wasn't perfect last night by any means, but the guy still threw for 435 yards. I I do like Waller. I think getting him in the third round is definitely a steal. I think. When we look back, you could see him maybe as a uh, projected second rounder come next season, just because of the sheer volume he gets. Definitely, he's and he doesn't look. He's he's like one of these tight ends who doesn't look like a tight end. He looks like that much more. Yeah, and that's it's always fun having that kind of guy on your team. I mean, nineteen targets is insane. My second take, uh, I actually I really like this one because I've not heard this one anywhere else. Uh, so I'm very proud to call this an Angelo and Gleesa special. Uh, I think Adam Thielen finishes above Justin Jefferson by the end of the season uh, in terms of like wide receiver points. And I, I it kind of goes back to what I actually thought early, early on in the offseason is that, okay, Justin Jefferson really established himself. He's the young guy on the block. He's, he's essentially now the new number one in Minnesota. And being the new number one means he's going to face better corners. And I think that's kind of what we saw in this Bengals game. The Bengals, their defense isn't spectacular, but they have a fantastic secondary, a very underrated secondary. And you saw Justin Jefferson, nine targets, only five catches, 71 yards. Not a bad night by any means or bad day by any means. But you look at how Kirk kind of like views Thielen as like a security blanket. Thielen's kind of functioning as a tight end with uh, with Irv Smith hurt and with uh, Kyle Rudolph now in New York. Uh, Thielen, 10 targets, nine catches, two touchdowns, 92 yards. I think Thielen's going to be the guy that uh, Cousins is going to target in the end zone. Just a good red zone threat. And shockingly enough, this is something to monitor in the future uh, and something I've not heard talked about this week. K.J. Osborne, a their second-year player, fifth-round pick, also tied Justin Jefferson with nine targets, actually had seven catches for 76 yards. So keep your eye on Osborne. Might be a guy down the line that, because he doesn't have the name value, is kind of going under the radar. But I think Thielen ultimately ends up with more points than Justin Jefferson. Uh, it's definitely something that uh, I don't think is out of the realm completely. Like you did mention, Justin Jefferson is the shiny new uh, toy there in uh, Minnesota, and they do probably want to see that leap that he's going to make from the rookie to the uh, sophomore campaign. But I would say that you know picking Adam Thielen to score more than him isn't that crazy just because the volume of touchdowns that Adam Thielen produces. He had two touchdowns uh, on Sunday. And he does have a nose for the end zone. I think he's still their guy down in the red zone. Now with Irv Smith out, you're not going to have that big body down there. And you, like you said, he's kind of a de facto like 
cut across the middle guy and still a big body that they're going to use uh, in some of those crossing routes. Yeah, so I, that's kind of what that's my take. Maybe if you're going to hedge me, just trade Thielen for, you know, maybe a solid RB2. Maybe you could probably do that this week, but I don't know. I, I, I just kind of feel really good about that. Moving on to my second uh, take for uh, coming up. Uh, I think after watching this week, we saw a lot of good quarter, uh, quarterback play out of the rookie class, but I think Mac Jones is going to finish with the highest uh, point total of any uh, rookie quarterback. Trevor Lawrence threw the ball a lot on uh, Sunday. He put up a pretty good fantasy performance. Even Zach Wilson looked pretty good in that second half, but I really think that Mac Jones looked like a very capable NFL-ready quarterback. And they're going to be in a lot of dogfights in New England where I think that he's going to be asked to throw the ball a lot and maybe come from behind in some games. So I do think that Mac Jones will finish uh, out of the rookie class with the highest uh, fantasy point total. He's He was very efficient. Uh, not spectacular numbers, but like good enough to get by. He, they weren't asking him to do too much, but at the same time, because of how close the game was, he is going to have to throw the ball in those tight games or those games where they're going to have to come back from. Lawrence, the Jags look like a mess, and he looks like the typical quarterback that, yeah, he's super talented, but he's also going to throw a ton of picks because he's going to be throwing the ball a ton. It's going to be like Pam Manning's rookie year, rookie year. Zach Wilson, he's running for his life, and he, he probably won't be super efficient this year. Fields might eventually see the field. Same thing with Lance, but out of the three guys that started uh, on Sunday, Mac definitely looked the most composed, and he's playing with the best team. And that's probably the best argument for him is that he's going to be the most stable guy from a week-to-week basis, which is going to give him a high floor. All right, moving on now to our ads of the week. So these are the guys that we want to target on the waiver wire or maybe just wait a day. I know in my fantasy league, the way we're doing waivers, uh, we've been doing waivers, and I still kind of don't like it, but you got to play the game how it's played. Uh, We have waivers that rotate. So if you don't use your waiver claim in a week, then you're still at the top the next week. So I'm at the second because I had the second to last pick. If I don't get Elijah Mitchell, then I move up to waiver claim one as opposed to doing it in reverse order every week so the bad teams always get the top of the waivers. Which, you know, there are pros and cons of both ways. But for me personally, I'm waiting to see who I can claim on free agency. But let's start with a receiver, Van Jefferson. I thought he looked fantastic in that game against the Bears. And he kind of uh, he ran more routes than Robert Woods in that game. Uh, Jefferson only did see three targets, but he made the most of them for 80 yards and a score. I think that he's a guy that is going to get better as the season goes on, as uh, the coaching staff trusts him more. And Robert Woods has always been a guy that's been solid but not spectacular. So it's kind of easy to for him to kind of get lost in the shuffle here. Deshaun Jackson, a guy that if you were putting stock in, probably worth cutting now. But I could definitely see Jefferson being a very intriguing third receiver on this Rams team. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's a, not a bad uh, route to go, considering that offense looked a lot more high power with Matt Stafford there uh, at the helm. And, you know, he did run, like you said, maybe more uh, routes than Robert Woods. I still think he's like a tertiary guy, but, you know, has some value to st- uh, stash on the bench. Going to uh, a player I think uh, you should be picking up in your leagues is Tim Patrick. I even like Tim, uh, uh, receiver for the Broncos. I liked Tim Patrick even before the season started, but now with the added uh, value of Judy being hurt, he slides right into a role where he can be, 
you know, potentially the number two receiver for this team uh, with Kate, with KJ Hamler, maybe I'd say a little bit lower than him on the depth chart and Cortland Sutton, obviously above him. Uh, but I think Tim Patrick's worth an ad. He was productive last year. And I think it's only going to continue to go up considering he's going to get more targets. Very solid guy. Um, just doesn't have a name that rolls off the tongue. Tim Patrick kind of boring. You think, I think every time I hear the name, Tim Patrick, I assume he's a tight end. He saw four targets in that game. It'll be interesting seeing how that splits up. Sutton did only see three targets. Hamler had four targets. Judy had seven. I think what surprised all of us is that Noah Fan had eight. But Patrick was very solid last year with uh, Drew Locke. And he's a big-bodied guy. He's not the fastest dude. But if Sutton's still kind of like slow to recover, which based on the stats, maybe he is, Patrick is going to be a guy that's going to feast. Because he's proven that he could do it before. And if for whatever reason, I could also see the Broncos, maybe they trade him. If Judy gets healthy fast, because, you know, they have an embarrassment of riches at that position. Like they got Sun, they got Tim Patrick, they got Hamler, they got Judy, they got Fant, they got the Missouri tight end Albert O. I'm not going to even bother pronouncing his last name because I, I just can't on the spot. They have an embarrassment of talent on the front side. And Tim Patrick has kind of always been the odd man out this offseason. But now with Judy out, he really has an opportunity to shine. So I do like that as a waiver ad. A little bit of a deeper pick here, but I'm going with Larry Roundtree. Um, Clear number two running back in Los Angeles with the Chargers behind Eckler. It's not Justin Jackson, which I think surprises a lot of us. Justin Jackson has kind of been the de facto guy when Eckler was hurt. Roundtree did see eight carries to Eckler's 15, which is really interesting. Bigger guy, much more uh, straightforward, up and down, north-south kind of runner, not as shifty as Eckler. But if Eckler's going to be dealing with a hamstring injury, uh, like he's been dealing with, those things linger throughout the season. They're hard to get rid of, especially as the season goes on. And Eckler has shown to be injury-prone in the past. So by snagging Larry Roundtree this week, before anyone gets a clue of him, you have a very good handcuff going into the season. And he's a guy that can, if Eckler goes down, is going to get the bulk of those carries. I can't really see a role where Justin Jackson has the same role that Larry Roundtree has now, should Eckler get hurt. Yeah, I think if you want to take a stab on a backup round, Tree's the guy to go with instead of uh, Justin Jackson. I mean, I, I'm a Jackson guy. I, I've always kind of liked him, but um, I think that you made a good point about maybe just taking Roundtree over him as the de facto backup in case Austin Eckler does get injured. Uh, moving on to my next uh, pickup for this week, I think you should be targeting Jameis Winston if you're in the market for a quarterback. Get five touchdowns, look pretty good um, with the Saints. And an offense that we kind of thought, uh, you know, a lot of question marks going into the season with. But, you know, he played a very, very efficient game. They beat the shit out of the Packers. So uh, Jameis played really well. And I think he's, you know, a good guy to target. If you're really in desperation in a deep league, even a two-quarterback league, I wouldn't a pretty solid QB, too. Better than Matt Ryan. Better than Ben Roethlisberger. I think Jameis is the guy you take. Jameis's LASIK saved his career. That's my column coming out tomorrow. Except they don't write. Uh, no, he did look really good. And I think that Sean Payton kind of gets slept on as a coach because he's been playing with Drew Brees and his noodle arm for the past three seasons. He's a really great schemer. The guy can scheme with the best of them. And he's going to u- utilize James's strength as a gunslinger. And even if James isn't as perfect as he was yesterday, I still think James is a guy that's liable to go off for 225 and three touchdowns on a weekly basis. Turnovers are going to vary. Uh, but I think that's kind of like his floor. I know he had 150 yards this week, but I think this week was a special kind of game. I don't think we're going to see that often. 
but still a guy worthy of picking up. My last guy that I'd like to add off of waivers, uh, this is going to be James O'Shaughnessy, tight end for the Jaguars. We mentioned that uh, Trevor Lawrence was throwing the ball a lot. O'Shaughnessy saw 10 targets uh, according to PFF. That's a nice volume for a tight end that you're going to get off waivers that went undrafted. I know that this week I started Austin Hooper, and you know Austin Hooper had three catches on the first drive, and then you didn't hear from him the rest of the game. I think O'Shaughnessy has a little bit more longevity as a starter, and it's also one of the he's a he's one of those guys is why like if you don't get one of the big three tight ends, you're waiting on tight end because the gap between O'Shaughnessy and Logan Thomas, who had a very rough first game, uh, it's not that much. Yeah, I think O'Shaughnessy is a good guy to target just because of the volume he might see with Trevor Lawrence uh, there in Jacksonville. You mentioned before, Lawrence might be throwing the ball a ton this year, and you know the more the merrier out there uh, for the weapons that he can utilize. And tight end is tough position to forecast for, so right now you might as well take a stab at somebody like O'Shaughnessy before you get to like week 10 or 11 where all you're hoping for in those uh, free agent tight ends is a, a touchdown just to save your uh, position. Going off my third pickup this week, uh, chalk pick. It's the number one guy. It's Elijah Mitchell. Uh, we talked at the top. Angela mentioned, you know, you're not really that high on him in the 49er backfield. But regardless, on every team, there has to be at least one guy on the bench that you can say is kind of a throwaway or someone who, you know, you don't think is going to be as productive as maybe you did a couple weeks ago in the preseason. But if you have a higher uh, waiver acquisition or even just to put one in and see if you can get him, uh, I think Elijah Mitchell's definitely worth a pickup just to stash on your bench and see what happens the next couple weeks. And of course comes to worst, just drop him uh, for the next guy up in a couple weeks. If nothing really pans out with him, he's almost a trade sweetener too. Cause if you could sell high on him after these next couple weeks in like a trade where you're sending and maybe a mid tier guy to upgrade a little bit, that's always good. Again, the best thing for him is that he did get 19 carries, which is very uh, unorthodox for the Shannon offense. But I do think that number changes once they have a week of game plan under there. But yeah, you if you have a waiver wire at the top, Mitchell's the guy you're probably going to be claiming. Now let's move into some drops. I'm dropping AJ Green. Just was not excited with what I saw in a Cardinals route of the Titans. He only saw he saw six targets, only brought in two of them for 25 yards. Just looks old. I think the better guys to own are going to be Rondale Moore and Christian Kirk. Both guys more probably owned a little bit more leagues. Kirk, a guy that really went under the radar. Uh, caught all his targets, had two touchdowns as well. You can't rely on those touchdowns on a week-to-week basis, but I think both those guys are ahead of A.J. Green in terms of who you want on a fantasy team. So I'm dropping A.J. Green. Yeah, A.J. Green, someone who I thought maybe at the beginning of the year, uh, we talked about in a, an older pod, I thought, oh, could maybe take that Steve Smith role as kind of the veteran uh, receiver who has a little bit of a revival in Arizona. But, yeah, there's a lot going on in Arizona and with uh, the way Kyler runs the ball and the way that offense kind of runs. I don't really think it's tailored that much to A.J. Green's game. So don't really hate giving up on him uh, right now. If you really, like, you know, are thin at uh, receiver, I think there's a lot better options you can get than A.J. Green. Um, but moving on to my first drop, I'm going to go with uh, Ramondre Stevenson, the running back for the Patriots. Had a fumble um, on Sunday, which that'll put you in the doghouse on any team, but especially a Bill Belichick-run uh, Patriot team. It's even worse. So um, Damian Harris fumbled too, but Damian Harris oh, had over 100 yards, had 20-plus carries. He looked really, really good. So as we kind of have speculated, I think Damian Harris might be the bell cow the Patriots have been looking for. 
And I just think it's a tough, it's going to be tough for Ramondre Stevenson to crack um, a very viable game uh, in the coming weeks. So I think he's droppable. I don't think that even with an injury to Damian Harris, I wouldn't automatically assume that Ramondre Stevenson is going to be some kind of animal at running back. Yeah, I could see Belichick going back to James White, a guy that he's got history with and he can trust. Um, And he's still handling those passing downs. Uh, Speaking of running backs, uh, let me just give you the Jets' backfield real quick. Uh, Not any particular one. You could kind of drop all of them. It's not a backfield you want to own. Tevin Coleman, nine carries for 24 yards. Ty Johnson had five touches for 26 yards. And then Michael Carter had five touches for 20 yards. Just no value to be found here. The offensive line struggled blocking anything, both run and pass blocking. It, it's just not a good. It's just not a good offense. It's going to be whatever Zach Wilson can uh, generate on a week to week basis. I don't think any of those guys are really worth owning. The only guys that really have a name to own are Corey Davis and the Corey Davis alone. So Jets backfield be gone. I can find better. Still holding out hope for Michael Carter. Still going to be staying on the bench for now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, moving on to my um, second guy, I think you should drop if you have him. Uh, I was a little concerned a couple weeks ago when they signed him, but I think Wayne Gallman, uh it's not going to work out in Atlanta. I don't hate Wayne Gallman. I think he's a pretty decent backup running back, but uh, Atlanta's going to stink this year. Um, I'm, I was a little concerned Mike Davis's volume. Like He started the game pretty well with his touches, but you know they got behind early in the first half and had to play catch-up. So it's going to be tough navigating that backfield to begin with. And... It's even tougher when you have a team that's going to be starving for carries when it's the backup running back. And it's not like Wayne Goldman is really challenging Mike Davis for a lot of the touches. I think the only way Mike Davis loses that job is if he gets injured or, I mean, plays absolutely horrible. But I don't think that's going to happen. Even then, Cordero Patterson was the guy that they were kind of using on passing downs. And he was the second running back, essentially. So I agree with that Wayne Goldman take. And finally, wrapping up the podcast, let's do our Thursday night heat check. So we're picking a guy on both uh, one guy on each side of the ball or not each side of the ball on each team uh, that we would start for the Thursday game. Thursday games are always kind of weird. We have Washington taking on the New York Giants. I'm starting the Washington defense. Uh, Give me that. uh, Give me any defense that's facing Daniel Jones. The guy's a turnover machine. He's got 40 turnovers. 30 of them are fumbles. The guy's going to give you points. And they're, and they're in the potential for a return. It's just easy pickings there. Easy pickings. Give me Washington defense. And my other guy that I will be starting will be Sterling Shepard. I mean, he's the number one. He's not the number one receiver, but he's the healthiest. I think that Daniel Jones has a familiarity with him. And he's going to be a guy that's going to get five catches for 60 yards all year. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be always helpful. But if you're looking for a guy that's got a very stable floor on the Giants offense outside of Saquon Barkley, it's Sterling Shepard. Um, I'm going to go with, for Washington, I'll pick Logan Thomas. Uh, had a good game on Sunday, had a touchdown. I think that uh, he'll continue that trend. Noah Fant played pretty well against the Giants. I think Logan Thomas will do the same. Uh, Giants don't have the best linebackers in the league, so I think he could find a couple open seams to get uh, passes through and, you know, have at least five to, you know, I could see five to seven catches for him. Uh, maybe, you know, like get a touchdown in there. So I think you can have a productive uh, tight end day against the Giants. And the Giants side, 
not giving me a lot to work with taking Sterling Shepard, but I mean, let's go with Kenny Galladay. We'll <laughs> see if Kenny Galladay can uh, get on the board with his first touchdown of the year. Had an okay uh, game uh, against the Broncos, but I think uh, with a not as good of a secondary uh, that the well, that the Redskins have, Washington football team, whatever you want to call them, uh, I think that Galladay could find the end zone on Thursday. I mean, he definitely did better than I expected Galladay to do. Um, disappointing note. I, I was going to say, you could say Barkley, I wouldn't hate you for it, but the guy <laughs> the guy had less rushing yards than Daniel Jones. <laughs> oh, boy, the Giants never stop stopping. All right. <laughs> but that will do it for the first in-season episode of the Flexigold podcast. For Nick Prillo, I'm Angelo Lisa, and as always, we hope it pans out for you. Oh,